Hello and welcome to NTD News Today. Kevin Hogan here. Let's take a look at our top stories. President Biden speaks with Ukraine's president saying the U.S. will respond swiftly and decisively to more aggression from Russia and the Pentagon confirms that some U.S. troops are leaving Ukraine as tensions rise. Canadian protests against virus mandates and restrictions gaining steam in the capital over the weekend, while Canadian police clear a vital trade route with the United States. The Los Angeles Rams defeat the Cincinnati Bengals at Super Bowl 56. The game was tight and came down to the last minutes. Find out what fans thought. President Biden and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky spoke on the phone on Sunday. The two reaffirmed the United States' commitment to Ukraine's sovereignty. The White House posted a readout of Biden's call with Zelensky. It said, United States would respond swiftly and decisively together with its allies and partners to any further Russian aggression against Ukraine. The readout offered few details, but it also said the leaders agreed that it's important to deter Russia's military buildup by diplomatic means. Yet Biden's national security advisor said the world should be prepared. I do think the world should be prepared for Russia staging a pretext and then launching uh, a potential uh, military action. And as tensions with Russia grow, some U.S. troops are leaving Ukraine, the Department of Defense confirmed on Saturday. Press Secretary John Kirby said Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is repositioning the Florida National Guard troops out of Ukraine temporarily. That's to protect the safety of U.S. personnel, but he said the United States is still committed to their relationship with the Ukrainian armed forces. There were reports that Russia was planning to invade Ukraine this Wednesday, but Kirby declined to confirm those reports when speaking to Fox News Sunday. Uh, we believe that uh, a major military action uh, could happen any day now. And, and again, uh, these assessments are coming from a, a variety of sources and not, not exclusively just uh, inside uh, intelligence, but also what we're seeing in plain sight. These more than 100,000 troops now continue to be arrayed against uh, Ukraine's border. U.S. officials said they would try to prevent a surprise attack by disclosing their intelligence on Russia's plans. Speaking to ABC, Senator Lindsey Graham said Congress needs to do more about the Ukraine crisis. We've been working in a bipartisan fashion for about three weeks now to come up with pre-invasion, post-invasion sanctions, and the White House keeps pushing back. So the best thing that can happen is for us to pass a sanctions package. And U.S. staff from a regional security group pulled out from Ukraine. They're from the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. They left the rebel-held city of Donetsk. It's located in eastern Ukraine. They left Sunday. The possibility of an imminent Russian invasion caused them to withdraw by road. Exclusive video by Reuters showed staff members driving away in vehicles with their luggage. Zelensky has invited Biden to come to Ukraine in hopes of de-escalating the situation with Russia, and he is also demanding proof of the claim that Russia could invade later this month. And the U.S. State Department said U.S. citizens who are trying to flee Ukraine into Poland must present a valid U.S. passport and proof of COVID-19 vaccination. Travelers are also encouraged to present a negative test result from a PCR or antigen COVID-19 test, which will facilitate entry into Poland. It's not clear what may happen if an American citizen cannot provide proof of vaccination. More Canadians joined protests against COVID-19 vaccine mandates and restrictions over the weekend. Meanwhile, Canadian police cleared a key trade route with the United States. And today's Jessica Beatty has the latest.
Thousands of Canadian protesters poured into Ottawa over the weekend, demanding an end to the country's COVID-19 mandates and restrictions. The government's been misstepping this entire time. They've been enforcing tyrannical measures on people. They've destroyed families. They've destroyed their incomes. They've, people have lost their homes. And it's about time that, you know, this country stands up in solidarity against these measures. Counter-protesters also came out, blocking some vehicles, trying to join the trucker-led protest. Big rigs have parked in front of Parliament Hill for more than two weeks now. The Freedom Convoy started as a trucker protest against vaccine mandates for cross-border drivers, but it's expanded into a broader protest against COVID-19 restrictions, also reaching Western Canada. Over the weekend, a convoy gathered at the Pacific Highway border crossing in Surrey, British Columbia. It connects to Washington State. One trucker told the Epic Times he estimated that thousands had joined the convoy. Others said the lineup was more than 90 blocks long. Protesters locking arms in front of police singing O Canada. Canada. Although the main route was closed, the border remained open. Meanwhile, Canadian police cleared the Ambassador Bridge Sunday, a vital trade route on the Canada-US border, making some arrests and towing some vehicles. President Biden asked Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to use federal powers to end the blockage, which lasted about a week. Police moved in early Saturday, but more protesters came in the afternoon, halting the operation. The bridge carries about $360 million a day in two-way cargoes, 25% of all U.S.-Canada trade. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. French police fired tear gas at Canadian-inspired Freedom Convoy protesters. They drove into Paris to protest CCP virus restrictions imposed on the city. Police had already stopped 500 vehicles at three checkpoints in Paris early on February 12th, but Freedom Convoy vehicles managed to reach the center of Paris and block the city's famous Arc de Triomphe. Large crowds gathered in the streets. Riot police attempted to disperse demonstrations with tear gas. The protesters... The protests currently happening in France are against rules that mandate vaccine passes to enter public places. The vaccine pass replaced the health pass and took effect near the end of January. It has tougher restrictions for those entering bars, restaurants, fairs, shopping centers, theme parks and museums, and for accessing certain social and medical services. New Mexico Senator Ben Ray Lujan spoke out Sunday for the first time since suffering a stroke on January 27th. His doctors say the 49-year-old's quick response to his symptoms may have saved his life. Democrats hold a narrow 50-50 majority in the Senate with the help of a tiebreaker from the vice president. This makes Senator Lujan's vote important for their party. Lujan joined his doctors to say he is recovering and going through rehabilitation now. Then I'll be back on the floor of the United States Senate in just a few short weeks to vote on important legislation and to consider a Supreme Court nominee. Lujan's absence comes at a critical time for Senate Democrats. His doctors say his case is a reminder for everyone to be more aware of the signs and symptoms of stroke. Those include vision changes, numbness or weakness in the face, arm or leg, and impaired speech. Recognizing those symptoms and calling 911 immediately seems to have helped ensure Senator Lujan's full recovery. 
Jurors in Sarah Palin's defamation trial against the New York Times will resume their deliberations today. The jury of five women and four men met behind closed doors for two hours on Friday before adjourning for the weekend. The jurors must decide whether the Times is liable for defamation and if Palin deserves financial damages. Palin says an editorial in the paper accused her political action committee of inciting violence in the Gabby Giffords case. The editorial board of the Times issued an apology two weeks after the article appeared, but the former Alaska governor says the damage was already done. Palin, a former Republican vice presidential candidate, says it affected her reputation and emotional well-being. The U.S. has suspended avocado imports from Mexico. The suspension comes after a U.S. official was threatened. Michoacan is a state in western Mexico. It is the only area authorized to export avocados to the U.S. It is also the site of a turf war between criminal organizations. According to Mexico's agriculture ministry, the USDA food inspector received a threatening call to his office cell phone. Mexican local and state police are working with the USDA to try to address the issue. Just ahead, a panel allows a 15-year-old Russian figure skater to continue competing in the Olympics despite previously testing positive for a banned substance. And at a Lilac Chocolates in New York City, workers have been busy preparing for Valentine's Day. Now that the holiday is finally here, we take a look at what the company calls its old-school chocolate. All that and more here on NTD News. The hometown Los Angeles Rams came from behind to beat the Cincinnati Bengals 23-20 in a thrilling Super Bowl on Sunday. The victory marks the franchise's first championship since returning to Los Angeles and its second overall. Los Angeles Rams rallied from behind to beat the Cincinnati Bengals 23-20 in a thrilling Super Bowl on Sunday. It's the Rams' first championship since returning to L.A. from St. Louis and the team's second after a win in 2000. Rams fans were ecstatic. Unreal, just electric, SoFi Stadium bringing all the energy, just the fact that it came down to a last-minute play. Just, oh, unbelievable. Yeah, and a I lot mean, of fun. Rams wide receiver Cooper Cup was named MVP after catching two touchdown passes. His team trailed late in the game, but Cup came to the rescue in a 79-yard drive, converting a fourth down. He caught four passes, including the game-winning touchdown with 85 seconds left on the clock, sealing the Bengals' fate. Cup's performance was even more impressive given an injury to Rams receiver Odell Beckham Jr. in the second quarter. One Bengals fan said it was a hard-fought championship. It was a good game. It was amazing. I'm going to be disappointed tomorrow. It was so much fun today that watching this. It was a lot of fun. The halftime show, meanwhile, was star-studded as L.A. natives Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre united for California love. The lineup included Kendrick Lamar, surprise guest 50 Cent, and rapper Eminem. With the victory, the Rams joined last year's Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the only teams to win a Super Bowl on their home field. The Los Angeles Police Department says large, violent, and destructive crowds became uncontrollable in the heart of downtown after the Rams won the Super Bowl. The department spokeswoman said people refused to leave the area after police gave dispersal orders. People jumped on cars, spray-painted buses, and there were videos on social media of people breaking into businesses. Police did not confirm reports of looting and business break-ins. A car-to-car shooting was reported near a Super Bowl party shortly after the game ended. The victim was taken to the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. 
The spokeswoman says that some people involved in the unruly behavior may not have been football fans, but people who came to look for trouble. Before the game, the Secret Service, Department of Defense, and the FBI helped make security preparations in the area. The LAPD chief told reporters the beefed-up security would last until a day after the Super Bowl. The $7 million price tag for a 30-second Super Bowl ad may have been worth every penny for one specific company. The Coinbase app crashed briefly Sunday after a surge in traffic. It's an app for cryptocurrency exchange. The 60-second ad featured a floating and colorful QR code bouncing around the screen. Coinbase's landing page had more than 20 million hits in one minute. The chief product officer took to Twitter, saying it was historic and unprecedented. At the same time, crypto news website The Block says the app also skyrocketed in popularity, raising from 186th place to second on Apple's App Store. Russian figure skater Kamila Valieva will be allowed to continue to compete in the Beijing Olympics. That's despite testing positive for a banned substance in December. The Court of Arbitration for Sport said on Monday it will uphold the Russian anti-doping agency's decision to lift a ban on the 15-year-old. The court's secretary general, Maytu Reeb, said there were exceptional circumstances underpinning their decision, including the fact of Valieva's young age. The panel considered fundamental principles of fairness, irreparable harm, and the relative balance of interest as between the applicants and the athlete who did not test positive during the Olympic Games in Beijing, but is still subject to a disciplinary procedure on the merits following her positive anti-doping test undergone in December 2021. In particular, the panel considered that preventing the athlete to compete at the Olympic Games would cause her irreparable harm in these circumstances. Valieva is one of the youngest athletes to face a doping charge during the Olympics. The accusation prompted global outrage at the role of the adults around her. It also revived long-running concerns about Russian doping in sport. In response to Monday's decision, the CEO of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, Sarah Hirschland, said, This appears to be another chapter in the systematic and pervasive disregard for clean sport by Russia. Valieva's next event is the women's singles competition on Tuesday. Half an hour after the court's ruling, she was seen on the ice preparing for the event. Japanese Olympic figure skater Yuzuru Hanyu left his future plans open as millions tuned in live for his news conference. He spoke on the sidelines of the Beijing Games. The answer to whether this will be my last Olympics, I'm actually not quite sure. I came to the Olympics and I just felt again that the Olympics is really special. I don't know how to put it, but it's a stage where I simply have to stand up and challenge myself, even if I have an injury. As a figure skater, there's no other stage like this. The 27-year-old fell short of his mission to clinch a third straight Olympic title, and word of his news conference led to speculation over a possible retirement announcement, but no definite answer was given on that. Hanyu placed fourth overall in the men's singles event, but his popularity remains unmatched. At least six million Chinese viewers watched the live stream of his appearance over Chinese social media. Hanyu built up anticipation for his Beijing competition by promising to attempt a quadruple axle, a jump never before landed by anyone, but he fell short of his goal. He noted that the ankle sprain he sustained prior to the finals was worse than he first thought. Fresh snowfall at the Beijing Games caused women's free ski slopestyle competitors to skid, crash, and fall. 
A blizzard over the weekend dumped several inches of snow before qualifier events. The snow forced organizers to postpone the qualifiers on Sunday to Monday. Nearly half of the skiers stumbled or missed their landings on the unusually soft snow. A hush fell over the crowd after American Marin Hamill crashed after her second jump. Hamill lay motionless for several moments as rescuers rushed to treat her. The qualifiers were paused as she was taken off the course on a stretcher and put into an ambulance. Earlier in the day, American Caroline Clare fell during a practice run down the course and did not participate in the event. U.S.-born Chinese team member Eileen Gu also stumbled during her first run. She said qualifiers were always nerve-wracking, but Monday's event had been scary. Candies, flowers, and gifts galore. It's Valentine's Day, and one chocolate factory in New York City is serving it up old school. Ahead of the holiday, workers have been busy gearing up. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Dripping chocolate covers homemade heart-shaped marshmallows. They're made at Lilac Chocolate's 9,000-square-foot production space in New York City. On Friday, employees were busy decorating chocolate hearts with colored sprinkles, dipping cherries in chocolate, and preparing toffee filling ahead of Valentine's Day. I've been doing like about 18 hours a day, you know, to keep up with, with, the, with the demand. And we have, we have a, like a really big line of uh, fresh chocolate. Uh, we have like over 120 items, and we have to keep up with all this. Uh... Lilac Chocolates has been operating since 1923 and will celebrate its 100th anniversary next year. Valentine's Day is one of the busiest times of year for the company. From a business perspective, it's our second biggest holiday after Christmas. So it's, we do more chocolate sales in Valentine's Day and actually and Easter um, than we do any other time of the year outside of Christmas. The company makes what it calls old school chocolate. Everything is made by hand using the founder's original recipes from the 1920s. We make everything by hand, um, and we make a, a unique style of chocolate that's different from a lot of the mass-produced chocolates that you see. The company built up its online business during the pandemic and has weathered supply chain disruptions. We've had some of those same issues with supply chain shortages and price increases. Um, you know, they varied from item to item, but we were definitely out of stock on certain items last year. Um, fortunately, it wasn't anything that, you know, we couldn't sort of navigate around. And, and we're still, you know, faced with increased prices for raw materials. Today, it's seeing store sales grow again as tourists and office workers return to Manhattan. You know, we're very optimistic about the holiday. I mean, people love chocolate, you know, and it's a nice little break and a treat for people. So we do see people coming back, spending money, um, consuming at good levels, and so we think that will continue. The National Retail Federation expects spending on Valentine's Day 2022 to reach nearly $24 billion, up from almost $22 billion in 2021. Andrew Thomas. NTD News. A French oyster farmer has figured out a way to enhance the romantic potential of his product, once considered to be a natural aphrodisiac, to the delight of couples on Valentine's Day. This frizzy-wigged Frenchman farms oysters specifically for Valentine's Day. <laughs> Christophe Guinot has managed to grow oysters shaped like hearts. Superbe. But how he does it is a well-guarded trade secret. Magnifique. Guinot says his heart-shaped oysters enhance the romantic potential of his product, long considered to be a natural aphrodisiac. These oysters are sold only on Valentine's Day and served on Valentine's Day and only at Michelin star restaurants. 
It's a rare, distinctive characteristic which provokes enthusiasm and interest. Imagine two beautiful oysters for two lovers in a famous restaurant, well-prepared, well-presented on a plate. The oyster is the princess of the sea. We know that. And on Valentine's Day, the princess and the prince around a table. What a nice story. La princesse et le prince à table. Quelle belle histoire. With the wind blowing through his luxurious yellow mane, Guinot then speeds across Lake Luquette in southern France Bonjour. to deliver his Valentine's Day harvest to La Ballette, a Michelin star restaurant headed by chef Laurent Lemal. I bring you today's best oysters, the Valentine's oysters for Valentine's Day. This one is my fiancée. Chef Limal says he only uses local products and oysters raised just a few miles away for his menu. The heart-shaped oysters are blanched and quickly put into ice water. Then they are marinated in beetroot juice to give it a red Valentine's Day color, a bit of yuzu, some tapioca for texture, and voila, Valentine's Day oysters. Chef Limal says these oysters will be offered to Valentine's Day lovers only on Monday. A pair of lions in a London zoo were treated to a special Valentine's surprise in the hope they will breed in the future. The two Asiatic lions are named Arya and Banu. They were matched as part of an international breeding program for endangered species. They now live at London Zoo. Asiatic lions are only found in the wild in one place, a forest in Gujarat, India. There are about 500 of the animals there. Asset management company Lion Trust is a supporter of the Zoological Society of London. It gifted the two lions with scented hearts. They're made from recycled fire hoses. Arya was the first to notice the new Valentine's-inspired decor. Banu rubbed his face onto the cinnamon-scented heart. Lion Trust also helped Arya meet Banu at London Zoo last year. Thanks for watching. At NTD, we're honored to be your source for the news. Catch us again tonight at 6.30 Eastern. In New York City, I'm Kevin Hogan.